Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Today, we're going to feature a follow-up interview with Mr. Jim Rogers. He's a legendary businessman, financial investor, and author. Best-selling author, might I add. He appears regularly on today's biggest financial news networks, talking about the markets, talking about the predictions. He's got a lot of great insight on wealth creation and how to you know, live an optimal life. He's an incredibly nice man. Very, very thankful that he would give his time to our show for a second time. Before we begin the interview with Mr. Rogers, I want to quickly address something, and that is why we are not doing any type of coverage or insight on the U.S. presidential election. And the reason why is because I, I feel that it, it is a energy cesspool, just disgusting, dark, negative, don't even want to engage it. There are people in the U.S. that have stopped talking to their friends and family because they are polarized over their particular candidate. And I don't want to engage it at all. So if you want to engage the election, you know what shows to listen to and who to discuss it. We're, we're keeping it all positive and all about the development and all about the peace on the Outer Limits of the Truth radio show. So let us begin tonight's interview with legendary investor Mr. Jim Rogers. Welcome back to the show is legendary investor, best-selling author, Mr. Jim Rogers. You can learn more about Mr. Rogers by going to his website at jimrogers.com. You can also look up several of his great books that he's written. The most recent book that he wrote was Street Smarts, Adventures on the Road and in the Markets, and another great book we talked about last time, last time, which is A Gift to My Children. Mr. Rogers, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome back to the program. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. First question I have is, how are your children doing and how have you been explaining to them some of the bigger news that has been happening? Uh, as they're getting progressively older, are they asking different types of questions than they were uh, younger? And do you have to explain things much more differently about global events? Well, my kids are great. They're now 8 and 13. We've just been for a walk in the Botanic Garden. But I just I landed this morning at 4.30 or 5, so I'm a wreck, a total wreck. We went for a walk in the Botanic Garden, and they're, they're terrific. Um, as far as explaining to them about the world, you know, on the front page of the newspaper today, there's big headlines about 50 people being killed in Florida. I'm sure you see the same headlines we do. Yep. And they notice these things now about how America seems to be different from, from other places. Nobody, there aren't headlines like that in Singapore about Singapore. Oh. So what do you notice? I mean, as far as I've... Uh, United States goes, what makes the United States completely different as far as other countries goes, as far as um, what makes them, you know, I guess some of the rougher edges, do you feel? Well, the main, the main, the first answer to that question that comes to mind is the United States is now the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and that's having serious ramifications. Our economy, it's very difficult for our economy to grow when you have big debts dragging you down or holding you back. And our debts are going through the roof. Studies show that if you have high debt, the GDP ratio is difficult to grow at a rapid rate or even a, a dynamic rate. So you you read the same newspapers I do. You see what's happening mm -hmm. with politics in the U.S. Whenever there's problems, whenever there are problems, people look for saviors on a white horse. We got a couple of supposed saviors on white horses. But unfortunately, history shows that those kind of people usually cause more problems than they solve. 
Okay, as far as the U.S. presidential election goes, will you be participating in the election, or will you be uh, throwing your support behind any candidate? Well, I always vote. Uh, I will not vote for either of those uh, turkeys. You know, if they if they if we keep voting for turkeys, <laughs> they keep sending us more turkeys. So I will vote the protest vote as I always do. <laughs> but theoretically speaking, if does it really matter um, if there is a different type of president? And does, does, that, does the president really have a substantial impact as far as um, you know the impact of the economy in the U.S.? Can can one person actually kind of raise or elevate public awareness or global consciousness about a country and impact well, their investment? Well, they, they have a, a bully pulpit, as has often been described. But the main change, the main difference is their friends get a lot of money when they get elected, and you know your friends and my friends don't. But their friends, whoever whoever gets elected, his friends. Do well, and the rest of it usually wind up doing not so well. Do you think that Donald Trump could actually uh, have a positive impact or be more positive than other candidates in the past because he has kind of rallied against the system and he does seem to be accomplished in terms of the business field, unlike some of these other candidates who kind of just you know just did it by doing favors for business people? Seems like he made it. Well, Mr. Trump is, you know, he's been bankrupt four times, and so many of his ventures have not worked. Trump, you remember Trump Airline and many other things, Trump stakes, many things. Uh, most of them did not work. But the more important point is if he does what he says, he says he's going to have trade wars with various and sundry people. But throughout history, trade wars have led to bankruptcy and often eventually to war. I hope he's not going to do what he says. Politicians frequently do not. But if he has all those trade wars he wants to have, you should be extremely... I'm worried about the the world economy and the American economy in the next few years anyway. But if Mr. Trump comes in and sets off trade wars, that's the end of the story. You know, you've been somebody who's talked a lot about investing in China. While China, a lot of the assets are in on the East, do you find it interesting that uh, Trump kind of rallies against China and really kind of says that they're ripping off Americans when China owns so much of the U.S. debt? Isn't that dangerous for him to be kind of trying to provoking someone when you owe so much money to that nation? Well, as I said before, trade wars, no matter how they manifest, turn out to be dangerous. And of course it is. I mean, the Chinese people certainly love American people. Every time I go there, I'm amazed at how much, how keen the Chinese are on America. America and China should be booming together, doing things together, taking over the world. Taking over the world in a figurative sense, not, not literal sense. We should both be prospering together. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, China's getting the book. You know, what, what we did in America 100 years ago, we worked hard, we saved our money, we built factories and railroads and highways, we became extremely successful. Now the Chinese are doing the same thing, which is what most countries want to do, and they're getting lambasted by Mr. Trump. Okay. Do you feel that America has not yet fully realized the, um, you know, we, there's a cause and effect. Do you think Americans have not fully realized the effect? Of generations of not saving, of generations of not, uh, you know, pursuing intellectual uh, ventures, as opposed to, you know, just having generations now of being addicted to the TV and being addicted to being passive and waiting for someone else to take care of them. Do you feel that America well, has fully experienced that? That's good insight. That's exactly what's happening. Uh, people don't put two and two together. Many economists, even Karl Marx, said you have to have capital in order to succeed and to build an economy and a society. Uh, we used to save huge amounts of money and invest for the future. We don't do that anymore. 
In China, they save and invest over 35% of their income. We in America save, I don't know what, 2 3 4% of our income. So the reason America is having problems is no savings, no investment, and very high debt. But people don't quite look at it that way. It's very easy to bash the foreigners. They have different colored skin. They speak different languages. Their food is different. Their food smells bad. They smell bad. You know, and it's very, very easy. They have different religions. It's very easy to attack foreigners. And politicians and nations have been doing it for thousands of years. Whenever things go wrong, blame the foreigners. Blame the foreigners. Got it. And you constantly come up with these job reports saying the jobs are, are awful. There are 100, apparently 103 million Americans that don't have a job. And it seems that there are so many people out there that, that have the desire to work, even though there are a lot of people who are kind of uh, leeching off others. But there seems to be a lot of people that want to work, there are a lot of people that have the desire, yet they still can't put things together. Is there, you think there's a major reason why so many people want to work, can't work, and aren't able to kind of rise above the system the way that things are? Well, there are many reasons. That one is the one major one is the debt. As I said, studies show when you have a lot of debt, it's hard to it's hard to grow. I mean, if you think about it, it's hard to run very fast if you got a lot of debt, so falling you over your shoulder and dragging you down. We've got this gigantic litigation problem in the U.S. Huge amounts of money go to for lawyers to fight each other. We've got an education problem. I'm not the first to know our education suffers compared to other nations of the world. Our healthcare is not so not so good. Americans have not even in the top 20 for life expectancy. So we have many problems, and they keep getting worse instead of better. And uh, along comes a man on a white horse and says he's going to solve them. I hope so, but nearly always in history, when the man or the woman comes along on a white horse, things get worse, not better. I don't know if you remember Joan of Arc. She certainly yep. didn't end well. Yeah, it's it was pretty bad. Um, as far as the debt goes, well, actually, I want to ask you something real quick. What are three skills that you'd recommend people right now teach their children, regardless of what country they're in? What three skill sets should children have that would kind of best suit them to be successful in any country and any market in the world? Well, especially American children need to learn a second language. Uh, we don't – most of us only speak one language, which, of course, is not not – very competitive in the 21st century. So I would start by saying any second language, whatever it happens to be. My children speak Mandarin. One of them also speaks Spanish. But pick a language. It's better to pick a, a growing language than a dying language. But even if you just learn a language, it's a very good, it's a good skill. Uh, learn to save. Learn to invest. Uh, it, people must know the value of money if they're going to be successful or happy. I know many, many people who just never learned about money, and they, they struggled all their lives. They're wound up in divorce and everything else because for some reason, and I'm not saying you need to learn how to money in order to be a, a speculator or an investor, a successful investor. I'm just saying you need to understand money, how it can destroy you, how it can help you. You must learn to save. You must learn to control money. And as far as the third skill, well, be curious. Be independent. Think for yourself. It's very difficult, very difficult to go against the crowd. But if you can think independently and be curious, you will probably do very well in life. Excellent. Thank you, Jim. There's a gentleman named Malcolm Gladwell who wrote a book called Tipping Point. 
and he also wrote a book called Blink. And I, I found this gentleman's work very fascinating. The one thing he talks about in Blink, he just talks about thin slicing, being able to immediately uh, pick up and gauge a situation right away just because of years of experience. When you are looking for a next big investment or a next big market, what are you utilizing or what, what are coming to your mind? What are some of the things that come to your mind in order for you to come up with a decision as why that would be a very good or bad place to invest? Well, it's very interesting you say that because I frequently, when I see things, I think, I, now, am I being lazy or I see that just because I've done this so many, many, many times? Um, <laughs> I, I do notice when uh, there's a disaster and my ears perk up. I do notice when everybody's going in one direction, my ears perk up. I guess that's because I've done it so many times. I've seen collapses. I've seen total nightmares turn around and become great successes. You know, right now, Russia's, I guess, still the most hated market in the world, but I can see that it's already starting to turn around. Uh, as you may know, two or three years ago, I started getting involved with Russia when it was a disaster. And I guess it's because I've done it so many times. I hope that's what it is. I hope I'm getting smarter rather than lazier. <laughs> and you, you've set two world records from traveling through, I don't know, how many continents on a motorcycle. And one of the things you talked about last time during your interview, you said it's so important to travel, to really broaden your horizons. I'm curious if that would apply to meeting people as well. Do you try to meet as many people as possible? And does meeting people in one way kind of parallel to being in a physical place and location, do you get a much greater insight about the markets or way a country is going based on the people that you meet in that particular country? Absolutely. There's no question about that. Nothing like seeing the world close to the ground or from the ground up. Uh, and I don't, when I say that, I don't mean just, you know, CEOs or banks or something. I mean, see the people. Go to the local bar. Go to the local everyday, and you'll see what, what people are thinking about, what's worrying them, what they're talking about, and what they're doing. And that usually leads to all sorts of insights, including investment insights. And if the U.S. was a stock, how would you analyze it, and what are some of the patterns that you can guarantee that you would see happening in the future if the U.S. was a stock? Well, the U.S. debt situation continues to go through the roof. We become less and less competitive if the U.S. were a stock. I would have to sell it short, I'm afraid, because I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to turn, turn us around. I wish I, I don't like saying that. You know, I'm an American citizen, American voter, mm -hmm. American taxpayer, just like you. But I don't really see anything that's going to turn us around. <laughs> you look at the UK, you look at the UK, it declined for a long time, um, and it continues to decline. You look at Spain long ago, same thing. These things just have a life of their own. They continue to decline. There are rallies along the way, just as there are in stocks. But unfortunately, I'm afraid the U.S. is in decline. I would love to see something that's going to save it. But so far, I haven't seen it. Do you believe that this, the I don't know, $68 trillion, $100 trillion outstanding debt is eventually going to have to be liquidated worldwide? Is that something that is inevitable that's going to happen regardless of what anyone does? That's where it's always worked in the past for, other, for every country that's gotten itself into this situation. You know, you have a crisis or a semi-crisis, and the debt gets uh, eliminated one way or the other. It gets inflated away or just debased, so that even though you get paid, you don't get paid real value. So it's, it's always happened this way. I, I can't, I don't like saying this one, but it's, 
unfortunately, we have to deal with facts or we're yeah. going to be suffering too. Right, well, in a let's say, for example, the debt gets liquidated and all the debt's forgiven, but it happens on a worldwide scale. And the U.S. is the most outstanding debtor nation. Is the U.S. going to be the one that's going to be most substantially impacted from the negative? Or all countries are going to be um, harmed? And do you think that that could actually be something tragic enough or devastating enough to kind of shift away from fractional reserve banking? Is that going to be the one thing that's going to fundamentally shift people away from that? Well, if, if we do that, you're going to wipe out a gigantic uh, portion of the population. And when you wipe out your savings, the people who save and invest, you usually destroy your your society. I mean, the Germans did that in the early 20s. You know the rest of that story. But if you yep. wipe out all the pension plans, all the endowments, I mean, Princeton University is going to be in pretty bad trouble if you suddenly, if there's suddenly, there are no debts in the world. So you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. And there's some people who say, ah, oh, that would solve the problems. But think about all the insurance companies that are suddenly bankrupt. Endowments, pension plans, old people, everybody's in a real bind if you do something like that. That's okay, more or less what we're doing now. You know, what we're doing now is what the way the system is supposed to work is when people get into trouble, competent people come along, take over the assets, reorganize the assets, and start over. What we're doing in America is we're taking the assets away from the competent people, giving them to the incompetent people, the bankrupts, and say, okay, now you compete with the competent people with their money. So if you go ahead and just wipe out all the debts, boy, the competent people who've done everything right are going to be in a terrible, terrible situation. And the people who are going to come out on top usually are not the people who build a society or an economy. You know, when you say that, it makes me realize something. It's a tough thing. It's almost as if, like, what is the point of trying to educate yourself of being stronger if the incompetent people are going to be the ones that went out, it almost feel like if you know if you're if you're incompetent and you're in a position, a government position, you almost have a competitive edge. How much harder do you have to work if you're not going to follow that protocol? If you're going to be smart and you're going to invest wisely, you're going to be succeed where so many others have been struggling. Well, normally in situations like that, the competent people pack up and leave because they see it's stacked against them. Your forebears and mine left somewhere whether it was Russia or Germany or Eastern Europe, somewhere, and moved to America because, you know, that was what was happening. The, the incompetent people in Russia or Germany or whatever were being rewarded, and the people who were hardworking weren't being rewarded, so they packed up and went to America. So that's normally what would happen. Uh, the reason there was a story that a, a girl, a high school girl, was number one in her class in Texas. Uh, she's an undocumented uh, Mexican. Now, if you think about it, that's the kind of people I want in my country working for me. Her parents had the bravery, the ambition, the vision, pack up, move to America, produce a girl who was number one in her class in a major high school in Texas. I mean, don't we want people like that in America? I do yeah. anyway. Absolutely. And just coming back real quick to the uh, question earlier about the liquidation of debt, do you? Uh, I know that uh, John Williams from Shadow Stats and we talked to Gerald Salente before from the Trans Journal. They've all talked about, um, I think, a hyperinflationary type situation where paper assets completely collapse. Do you still see? Do you still foresee that happening in the next couple of years, or is that something that can actually be theoretically avoided? 
suppose anything can theoretically be avoided uh, and anything theoretically can happen. I don't really see how it's going to be avoided in the U.S. because we do continue to print money. We do continue to run up debt. And throughout history, as I said before, this has always led to a crisis or a semi-crisis. Uh, one way or the other, the currency gets to, gets debased, the debts get debased, and the country suffers. Okay. You know, you've been really amazing when you're uh, reading cycles of business and seeing um, things boom and bust. Have you been able to observe that, culturally speaking, with nations of people when they go through a phase where they, you know, they kind of embrace their prosperity, they work really hard, and they enjoy the prosperity, and they get complacent? Um, do you see these patterns in other nations? And if so, what nations do you see as having the greatest fundamental, um, uh, fundamentally speaking, that are sound, that are safe places to invest in, whose populations are actually going to be thriving, culturally speaking? Well, yes, obviously you see. Countries rise, they work hard, they save their money, they educate their children, they discipline their children, they rise, and then, you know, a few generations later, people want a free lunch, people get a free lunch, and the country starts, it adds up debt, they're not as competitive as they used to be, uh, they usually attract foreigners during their growth phase, then they start closing down, and the next thing you know, you've got a country in decline. It's happened to every country in the world that's risen and been on top. There are no exceptions. I don't see any reason it's not going to continue to happen. Okay. You know, there are a lot of stocks out there that people are very um, excited about. Everyone is excited about, I guess, Apple or they're excited about Amazon. Are there any particular stocks that you're really excited about? Or are there any things that you see in the long term that are going to be much bigger than they are today? They're being completely undervalued. Uh, well, I'm sure that I know they're always. There are always individuals and companies and countries that are, and families that are undecided, that are, on, that are turning around. Uh, we talked about China. China's going to have problems along the way. You know, as America rose, we had 15 depressions. We had a horrible civil war. We had very little rule of law. We had massacres in the streets. And yet, we became a pretty successful country, the most successful country in the 20th century. There are countries out there. China's going through that kind of phase now. They'll certainly have problems along the way. There are other countries I see where good things are happening. North Korea's changing very positively. It's where China was in 1980 or 81. Kazakhstan, Nigeria, there are countries that are making positive changes. Do you feel that sometimes that investing in countries that don't have a freely democratic rule could actually be better because you're much more inclined to have less variables in terms of what the population can do. Well, unfortunately, throughout history, that's often been the case. If you can find a visionary leader, I live in Singapore, which uh, was ruled by a strong man. Uh, fortunately, he was uh, visionary. He was smart. He did a lot of things that I don't approve of. On the other hand, Singapore has been the most successful country in the world in the past 40 years. At the same time, Mobutu in the Congo was a strong man, thought he had vision, he ruined his country. Uh, Congo has not been successful in the past 40 years. So if you get the right guy, and it's rare, it's rare that you get the right guy, but if you do, sometimes it's better than having a democracy. Got it. And one of your quotes I love is you talked about 
sometimes it's good to not do anything. To, if, you, if you're investing, it's it's good to just pause and not do anything. Are there what have been uh, key periods of time do you feel throughout the course of your life where it was really smart? Or you're very tempted to do something yet you chose the act of non-action, and the act of non-action paid off. And the second part to that question is. Is there anything that people right now should not be doing, should be having where non-action would be very effective in today's markets? Well, they shouldn't be jumping into markets everywhere. Everybody, when you have a success, or at least when I have a success, I start thinking this is easy. Oh, boy, let's find another one. Uh, this is a time, especially in my view, that people should be looking out the window or going to the beach and not feeling they have to jump in and out of markets because we have perilous times ahead of us. So stay calm, try to figure out what's really going on, and try to figure out how you're going to survive all this. Because many of us are not going to survive what's coming, and you need to be careful and maybe do nothing at the moment. Or if you do something, maybe sell things that you shouldn't be owning if we're going to have hard times. Okay, so with this thing that you see coming, this storm that's coming, do you see it as the um, as the hyperinflation, or do you see it as a just slow economic downturn where the economy won't be moving at all because no one will have enough capital or people will be struggling? Well, I'm afraid the person is going to see turmoil in the market, bonds and stocks going down, uh, people going bankrupt, the governments, which will not be inflationary, the governments will be panicked. People will call up the central banks and say, you must save us. You know, the American Central Bank is run by academics and bureaucrats. They don't really know what they're doing. They will try to do something to save save the world. Unfortunately, what they will do will be wrong. They'll either print money or bail out more people and make the situation worse. And then we may start having serious inflation. Okay. Is there any other fundamental paradigm that people can kind of look for and see that this is another way of, of doing functioning in the world. It seems like everyone's completely used to central banking. It's been a part of our history for such a long period of time. Is there another system that could work? And are there ideas out there for a workable system being suppressed by the elites? Uh, is there anything that you've come to say, realize it could be effective or more than effective? We haven't always had central banks in the world or in America. America's had three central banks, the first to disappear for a variety of reasons, and this one's going to disappear, too, because they keep running up staggering debts and making bad mistakes. Uh, if you ask me, we would be better off without this central bank in the U.S. Now, a world without central banks has its own set of problems, but the problems we're having and will have because of this central banks are going to be a nightmare. You should be very worried. You should be knowledgeable. And if you get knowledge, you will be worried, and then you should take action to, to protect yourself. Okay. Um, coming back to your children, what are two things that you're very hopeful about for them, for the world, the way it's evolving and growing? And what are two things that kind of give you cause to be concerned about that have, make you have a hard time sleeping at night about the way the world's going? Well, what I'm afraid of is we're, we've always, as I said before, we start having trade wars. When you have people close off their economy and close off their society in that country, it nearly always leads to decline, and it often leads to war. I see that happening everywhere, and I, I know that we've always had war, unfortunately, throughout the history of the world. I see it coming. I hope it doesn't happen for a while. I just hope that I can teach my children the skills that are necessary to survive both economic collapse and war 
because both are coming in their lifetimes. Jeez. All right. As far as positive, what do you see happening as being uh, two very big positive things? Oh, there's some great things happening. You know, North Korea is going to be very, very exciting. Korea is going to be a very, very exciting country when they merge in the foreseeable future. Agriculture is going to be wildly exciting for many countries and many people in the world. Some countries are changing dramatically and opening up. It's going to be good for all of us. Okay. In the right place at the right time. I mean, the Venezuelans in the process of collapsing. Now, that's exciting because the Chinese have a word. It's called Weiji uh, Yugan. And what it means is catastrophe and opportunity are the same thing. When you see catastrophe, and this is something I've tried to learn over the years, when you see catastrophe, start looking for opportunity because there's always opportunity when there's catastrophe. Okay. And as far as uh, sorry, as, as far as Venezuela goes, do you think that that's a great place people should be looking for to be investing in the future or for right now? Or should they wait for things to kind of clear out with the, the economy, the way things are in that country? Which country? Uh, Venezuela. Oh, no, I, think, I'm not yeah. investing in Venezuela now, but I can see what's happening. I see where the incipient tipping point, I think you used that word before, you know, where it's going to collapse sometime in the next year or two. And when that when that happens, it's going to be great opportunity for those who are clever enough to do something. Okay, and Jim, you know you've reached this point where you're just very successful. You've accomplished a lot of great things. What drives you right now? What is what are some of the things that have been driving you lately? I mean, is it uh, is it fun for you? Is it uh, a thrill? What makes you uh, wake up every morning and uh, you know continue to work hard? Well, the most important thing for me right now, these two little girls. I never wanted to have children. I thought children were horrible. Waste of time, energy, money. I felt sorry for all those saps who had children. So, and I was <laughs> never, ever going to do something like that. Well, I was totally wrong. I was one hundred percent wrong about children. And so now, the most important thing in my life is these two little girls. I mean, I do a lot of stuff. I travel around making speeches. I invest. I do various and sundry things. But the most important thing in my life are these two little girls. Oh, that's great, Jim. And uh, the final question I have for you, Jim, is in addition to people learning about your works and reading your books, are there any other authors that you would recommend that people start reading about that could put them in a very good or prosperous, uh, good mentality or good attitude? Are there any books that you recommend people to read? Well, I'm not going to name any names because then my, once I leave off, we'll be agitated. But I would okay. suggest people read history, learn about history. It will teach you that the world is constantly changing. No matter what you think is true today, is not going to be true in 15 years. You pick any year in history, 1900. Everything that people thought in 1900 was not true in 1915. 1920. Everything that people thought in 1920 was not true in 1935, etc., etc. So history will teach you that and how how things change. There are various patterns. And I guess the other thing is I would urge you to read some philosophy. I was not very good at philosophy when I was a student, but I eventually came to understand if you can learn to think independently and think for yourself and anticipate change, you might be okay. Mr. Jim Rogers, legendary investor, best-selling author, and uh, I call him a living genius. Mr. Rogers, thank you so much. To learn more about Mr. Rogers, 
please go to his website at jimrogers.com. I also want to go to amazon.com, see all of his great books that he has, get to my children's street smarts, investment biker. They're phenomenal. Mr. Rogers, an honor, sir. Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad that I wish half of that were true. Thank, thank you very, very much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our great guest, the legendary investor, Mr. Jim Rogers, on our show, Dispersing Wisdom. What a great honor. Shows the thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Lisa Casa, and Miss Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.